All right. Hello. Welcome back. This is Colin Keeley here. And I'm Brent Sanders. And we are the co-founders of Avocado, an audio publishing platform. Uh, so we talked a bit in the past about business coaching and Brent hired his business coach. So how, yeah. how is that going? So far, so good. We've had one session and it was a long, almost like hour and a half session just to kind of get background on everything I'm working on, you know, history, what I expect out of coaching. That was like the, what centered around most of the discussions. Like, what do you think this is? What do you think you're going to get out of it? How do you expect me to like define success as the coach, as in how does the coach define success? So it was so far so good. And he, the main takeaway is, you know, he wants me journaling. So a little bit of background information. I, I think I mentioned in the, in the prior episode, my wife uses a coach and this was the referral from her. She's had a ton of uh, success from it. And she's much more geared towards like, she has a coach. Uh, she has multiple coaches, right? She's very, very uh, keyed into people kind of helping her push forward. And I was much more hesitant. I'm like, I don't know that I need one. As we talked about in the prior episode, there's this sort of idea that you either got it or you don't, which kind of makes sense. But I, I realized, you know, at this stage of my career, I, you know, the long and the short of it is, is like, I've had a career in one particular place and I'm trying in the last year and in the future and this next year, really trying to make a major shift. And I think now is a very particularly good time for me to get a coach just so I have another set of eyes and very similar to a therapist, like pay someone to kind of listen to you and walk through your thinking and make sure you're on the right track. Because to me, this is like the year where I'm tapping on my savings. I'm tapping on all the resources that I've sort of built up to make a major change. So I'm not trading my time for money. So I feel like now is a particularly good time to have a coach, especially just give me a little bit more peace of mind that I'm not like working on too many things or spreading my focus too thin or focusing on the wrong things. I think those are my main concerns that I brought to the coach and yeah, we're going we're gonna to meet weekly for the next month, and then we'll kind of figure out what that looks like. But his, his homework to me was start journaling every single day. So on that, you know, I was a, an early adopter of Rome, gave it up. I think we've talked about it on the podcast, gave it up when they, they were having, you know, some very minor uh, database issues or something, you know, the service disruptions, gave it up and then just spun it back up and, and have started journaling day to day. You know, what am I doing? How's it going? What What's my routine been like? And uh, it's been good. I, I was just bugging you for, for some tips on Rome because I know you're an avid user. Yeah, I'm somewhat avid. I wouldn't say I'm like advanced in any sense. I do, I take the daily notes and just my general notes and then kind of connect everything together. And then through Readwise, I have my Kindle highlights in there and my Instapaper highlights. So like, it is definitely a bit of a second brain to me, but I am not, I love Rome because it is pretty unstructured. And so I sent you over some, you know, reading material and anonymous has a course on YouTube. That's free. That's quite good. He's very structured and it's more of like the, the structured second brain approach from Tiago. And that's mm. not me as much. He spends just too much time managing his notes. I just want to like <laughs> have them there and like get yeah. value out of them, which is why I like Rome. And then Nat Eliason has a $250 course, but he also has just a bunch of blog posts to kind of explain how he uses it. 
And uh, people, I've talked to a bunch of people that have taken his course. He said, they say it's all great, but you don't really have to do it. And you can just read through his blog post and kind of get the idea and go from there. So I definitely mm-hmm. lean more towards Nat's like free flowing approach. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, I dig it. And it's a, it's an unopinionated platform. You can kind of use it how you want. There's some killer features. The main feature that I think everyone should know about is just, and I don't know what they're actually called, but the, the references of being able to, you know, left and right bracket, like those hard braces and wrapping around a keyword term. And then you can click on that term and see every reference of it, which is for me, this is how I use it. I, you know, the references are each project, like formulated podcasts, um, every project or business we're working on has its own reference. And then things like family, health, mental, you know, the, the things that I'm trying to kind of keep track of in my day to day, I can go back and see, okay, here's every entry from every day on family. And, and for me, I'm, you know, I'm trying to be thoughtful around, you know, how much time, like over the weekend, how much time am I spending with my son? How much time am I spending with my family? How much versus like, I notice I have this historical thing from particularly from when we didn't have kids is just weekends were for getting all the work done that I couldn't get done during the week. And generally some of the more fun stuff. So like I'd code more on the weekends because it was quiet, no emails, no distractions, kind of do some of that deep work that would feel really good. And I still have that sort of inclination to do it, but I, you know, that's not why I had a family so I could not spend time with them, you know? So it's, it's almost like a wellness tool in, in a sense, like Rome for me is very much like a, like, how am I tracking on day to day on my mood? my mental state, what I'm doing health-wise. And then sure, there, you know, what am I doing on these projects and business-wise? So it's, it's pretty cool. Like, I like it. And I'm, I do think that there's um, a whole wellness ethos around journaling and mood sort of capture. I, I think I was having a, a really interesting conversation with one of our avocado publishers, uh, Theory of Me, Jackie McNamara, who was on this podcast and, you know, talked to me about, a new initiative she's doing around resilience, a whole module on resilience. It's like a four or five module series and she's doing it with some of her clients, but the key of it is journaling. It's like, and they're writing prompts around resiliency, which is a topic that I know the venture world's always obsessed with, like looking at founders that are resilient and the business world. There's like a bunch of, there's yearly, you know, Harvard business review articles around what is resilience and is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it like, something we should use as a benchmark for success, successful people. So I don't know. I think journaling is, is probably a, a pretty good thing to get back in the habit of doing, which digitally it, it always felt weird to do, but I've been doing a pen and paper for years. I have like a handful of um, notebooks that I have on my shelf that I'll crack open. And the one reflection I have on looking at old journals is how, dumb <laughs> my day-to-day was like how how serious i took everything and i think that's the one reflection that feels really good it's like it actually puts me in a good mood is like all right let's not take this too seriously like it's not really what matters in life is like how these work projects are going i mean it definitely is a big part of fulfillment and what i'm spending my time on but it's like not everything it's a, the whole point of Rome is kind of the thought is it's an easy way to get compound interest in, on your thoughts. So like all those you know, paper notebooks, you got value at the time, right? Doing the note mm-hmm. taking, but in theory with Rome, it's easy to, you know, trans 
traverse back like through your thoughts historically yeah. and see yeah. how they evolve. So it's bi-directional linking is the term that they use. Um, I, love I, that I don't know. Like I'm starting to interest. see it, I guess, but I, in theory, it like grows and grows the more you use it. I started using Rome when we started avocado. And it's funny, if I go back to my early sort of references of avocado, there's actually some really good information there. And so it looks like my... I'm just looking back. Yeah, my first couple uh, entries, it looks like more so, yeah, around April 12th. That's like of 2020. First entries, yeah, April. So I started using it then, I believe. And then you can see as you go through, you kind of, I, I tailed off and kind of stopped and now I'm picking it up again. But it's nice. I mean, I can go back and I'm still talking about and referencing the same thing. So there is a cohesive sort of map from the thought to thought. And so, you know, as I go back to the avocado web app, I can see, you know, April 11th, I was concerned about making the audio player and auth. And then, you know, the more modern stuff is like, you know, what, what are, uh, what are our customers saying? And, you know, what are we, you know, more so the product questions, which is it's fun to see. I mean, it's like, I think it is great. It's like going back and looking at a year yearbook of your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. You want to jump into this uh, micropedia we're working on? Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. So we did legal review last week. We have a, a wonderful attorney who was able to hop in fairly quickly. So shout out to the folks at Good Counsel, uh, Ken O'Bell's shop, uh, who's helped me in a couple of things and was able to bring one of their senior attorneys to review this document that we got, which was this big 40 something page APA asset purchase agreement, which is like the main mechanic in which we're using to transfer the assets from uh, our deal partner to us. And um, I feel like it went really well. Like uh, in a lot of it, I think number one, I always say, you know, going into these things, it's like making sure we have a strong business sort of aligned vision with the deal partner and to give that sort of guidance, guidance to the attorney and say, Hey, here's where we are. Here's where we are on most of these things. And, you know, being able to kind of come back with, direction versus having the attorney drive a lot of the direction. And so she brought up a bunch of great points. I feel like we went through the first round, sent some red lines over. We, we talked it through with the, the deal partner and, and he was very much like, you know, these are all sound. Okay. Like put in the red lines and we'll, we'll go from there, which I think is a lot, how a lot of the kind of, Hey, let's, let's understand the nature and high level of your feedback. And then I will give you my, um, you know, give, give your, your actual language to my attorney. Cause there's always that sort of hidden, like, well, how is this going to be phrased and will be a detrimental. And I feel like we were able to kind of navigate that fairly seamlessly, but with any agreement that I've always experienced, the indemnity clause always turns into the sort of sticky wicket that you can't really get a firm level of agreement on. Yeah. So we had that kind of funny call where we're like progressing through, we have our red lines. We're trying to go through line by line and it was basically us and the seller. So like the business sides and not the lawyers involved. And then we got talking about asset, asset transfer taxes and whether they should be split or they should be like an issue just paid for by the seller. And we were like negotiating it and neither of us really knew how much is going to be or like, if it was even a real thing and what the standards were. And we looked into it more and it sounds like they're probably just going to be zero. <laughs> and then, right. Uh, right. We just, we just decided to like, yeah, send these red lines back and forth with, it's kind of a silly way to collaborate in 
like the days of Google Docs where you could just see yeah. all changes as they happen. But we've been sending these emails back and forth. And you know, the way this started was I justified a price. I sent over a price in like basic terms and the offer was accepted. And so we've kind of been progressing through. And my thinking generally with this is like, my price, your terms, or your price, my terms. Like you can make any price work with the right terms. So I think our price was accepted. I think that's pretty favorable to us. And so on the indemnification part, I'm like more open to leaning his way or leaning the seller's way and not you know getting everything exactly as we want it. Yeah. Well, you know, that's one way of looking at it, but I think in terms of like the reality of a lot of these deals, it's like we are, you know, ice, you're, you're ice skating in a lot of ways. You're kind of going between what you think you can get away with or, and it's so unique. Like this is not my first rodeo when it comes to this type of deal. I mean, it, we haven't bought a business before together, but it just, it's so specific to the deal partner. And I would say the one that we have is, is very accommodating and he's, I think incentivized. I feel like there's a sense that we have pretty good alignment and I feel like this has gone pretty easily because he's I feel like given a fair amount, right? The price is one big piece, but then to your point, you, there is this, like, there's always going to be like, who's going to get the last serving or the sort of the last word. And, and there's going to be, you know, a favorable term. And I think you're, you know, upon retrospect, you actually are right. It's like, okay, well, we're getting our price. We're getting most of the things we want and we can't get everything like, right. You can't expect someone to just completely fold and unless that, that would almost be a red flag if they were like, okay, whatever you want. And we'll just give you this business. That would almost be scary. Yeah, for sure. And then just like, I looked into more into indemnification and liability and kind of the sticking point with us is, are they liable beyond the cost or the price of the transaction? So do they have unlimited liability in the event that we get, I guess the real situation is if uh, we get sued in the future after owning this asset uh, for some large amount. And to me, it's just like, we're never going to spend millions and millions of dollars defending this. Like our, downside is probably just zero. We lose all the money we put in. So it doesn't quite make sense to me where like, I would never sell some like, I don't know, hundred dollar skateboard. If I thought there was like some chance that I would be liable for every possible thing that could happen within the future. Like, I think this skateboard works, but you know, I can't be a hundred percent sure you're not going to you know hurt yourself on it. And I don't really want to have to deal with that liability going forward. So I, I guess totally. I, I empathize with the the seller's perspective. Yeah, that's the problem with uh, with myself included. I, I empathize far too much. I'm like, yeah, that's reasonable. They seem like a nice guy. And, you know, we're, we're in agreement and everything's rosy. And the attorney's like, do you know what you're signing up for? <laughs> and to the attorney's point, that which is a really fair point, which is like, hey, if this wasn't an issue, have them sign it and they assume the liability because it's not an issue or they're telling you it's not an issue. But I think the reality is, it's like, we can get this deal done. And I think that's probably true for bigger deals. And to your point, like, like if for some, you know, if we were to go back to them for, you know, a million dollars, they would just file bankruptcy. Like everyone's such a small player that there's no, there's no cash or insurance that kind of goes behind them that would help like prop up defending something. Right. So if, if you know, if we were going to get a million dollar 
IP lawsuit on us, it's like, sure, we can go back to them, but they're just going to file bankruptcy and we're going to, you know, go into receivership for pennies on the dollar, trying to recover those costs. It's just, it almost is a little bit liberating. And to your point, I think you mentioned this several times in our discussions, but probably earlier on the podcast is that there just needs to be a safe note for these types of um, transactions because of that, because like, you're not going to buy anything that's going to have so much value that it's going to make sense to fight over the indemnification and um, these like long tail pieces of, of representations that, that hang up 90% of our conversations have been around that around. Okay. Well, if this happens, who's going to be you know, representing that all of this is above board, it should just be like very blanket. And, you know, I think at this size, you are assuming a little bit more risk than um, the attorneys would like, but that's just kind of the, no one's big enough to really go to bat and be responsible for, you know, more than they're getting out of this deal. Yeah. I think these small deals would just never get done. If there's too much risk on the seller side, they would just, you know, I don't know, keep running it until it went to zero and you know ran out of cash. I, I looked into this more. So larger M&A transactions have actually been moving away from these liability caps and towards the buyer pays for some kind of insurance, basically mm, insuring against any, any previous issues. And then it's, everyone's like in, everyone's happy, I guess. The seller doesn't have to deal with it. The buyer feels safe, but I, I don't know if that exists. At least I haven't seen anyone talking about it in this like micro P level. I bet you can get insurance. I mean, I remember, you know, you can get a policy, Lloyd's of London, I'll give you a policy for nearly anything. So I feel like you could probably get rated for something or get coverage. And if we really wanted to make this a thing, like we could have probably made it as part of the the financing, the, the seller side financing and, you know, said, Hey, you know, we're going to carve out X amount of dollars for, you know, during the X amount of time, there's, you know, some sort of policy that we can be covered on. And, you know, make the, the seller essentially go through that diligence process. But that would probably make me feel better. But even still, it's just like, it's, it seems like we, it, like you really wouldn't, the odds of that happening are so small, but you know, I guess it's a possibility and that's why the attorneys keep bringing it up. Yeah. And I respect like that is her job. She's doing a great job doing it of like reminding us of the risks. And then it's on us to decide, you know, whether it's worth moving forward with these risks. And to me, yeah. and I think to you, it's just like, are we going to blow up this deal over this? Probably not. I don't think it's worthwhile. Like we have enough trust that we feel good moving forward. Yeah. So it's been a, I mean, I feel like things are moving along quickly, which has been our goal is like, we've wanted to, we don't want to drag anything out. We want to keep the deal momentum going, which I feel like is really, really important. So we don't lose sight of like, you know, getting this thing closed by the end of the month and, and, you know, getting started on building and growing it. Yeah. I look forward to building in public on this podcast. I got some feedback from folks that have really enjoyed this kind of like inside look into the micro P world. And, and once we take ownership of it, we could talk through you know, all the improvements we're making and how it's going. I think that'll be fun. Yeah. Cool. Well, until next week, uh, talk to you guys soon. Take care. Yeah. Thanks for listening.